Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Join us today for Chapters 6 and 7 of Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. And now, Chapter 6 of Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. The Parting. The Boers, who ostensibly had come to the kloof to see the shooting match, although, in fact, for a very different purpose, now began to disperse. Some of them rode straight away, while some went to wagons which they had outspanned at a distance and trekked off to their separate homes. I'm glad to say that before they left, quite a number of the best of them came up and congratulated me both on the defense of Maris Fontaine and on my shooting. Also, not a few expressed their views concerning Pereira in very straightforward language. Now the arrangement was that my father and I were to sleep that night at Marais's stead, returning home on the following morning. But my father, who had been a silent but not unobservant witness of all this scene, coming to the conclusion that after what had happened we could scarcely be welcome there, and that the company of Pereira was to be avoided just now, went up to Marais and bade him farewell, saying that we would send for my mare. "'Not so, not so,' he answered. "'You are my guest to-night. Also, fear not, Erenen will be away. He has gone a journey upon some business.' As my father hesitated, Marais added, "'Friend, I pray you to come, for I have some important words to say to you which cannot be said here.' Then my father gave way, to my delight and relief, for if he had not, what chance would there have been of my getting some still more important words with Marie? So, having collected the geese and the two falcons, which I proposed to skin for Marie, I was helped into the cart, and we drove off, reaching Marisfontaine just as night set in.' That evening, after we had eaten, Herr Marais asked my father and myself to speak with him in the sitting-room. By an afterthought also, or so it seemed to me, he told his daughter, who had been clearing away the dishes, and with whom as yet I had found no opportunity to talk, to come in with us and close the door behind her. When all were seated, and we men had lit our pipes, though apprehension of what was to follow quite took away my taste for smoking, Marais spoke in English, which he knew to a certain extent. This was for the benefit of my father, who made it a point of honor not to understand Dutch, although he would answer Marais in that language when he pretended not to understand English. To me he spoke in Dutch, and occasionally in French to Marie. It was a most curious and polyglot conversation. "'Young Allen,' he said, "'and you, daughter Marie, I have heard stories concerning you that, although I never gave you to leave to opposite, that is, to sit up alone at night with candles, according to the Boer fashion between those who are courting. You have been making love to each other. That is true, mine heir, I said. I only waited an opportunity to tell you that we plighted our troth during the attack of the Quabies on this house. Alamakta, Alan, a strange time to choose, answered Murray, pulling at his beard. The troth that is plighted in blood is apt to end in blood. A vain superstition to which I cannot consent. "'interrupted my father. "'Perhaps so,' I answered. "'I know not. God alone knows. "'I only know that we plighted our troth "'when we thought ourselves about to die, "'and that we shall keep that troth till death ends it.' "'Yes, my father,' added Marie, "'leaning forward across the scored yellow wood table, "'her chin resting on her hand, "'and her dark, buck-like eyes looking him in the face. "'Yes, my father, that is so, "'as I have told you already.' "'And I tell you, Marie, what I have told you already, and you too, Alan, that this thing may not be,' answered Murray, hitting the table with his fist. "'I have nothing to say against you, Alan. Indeed, I honor you, and you have done me a mighty service. But it may not be.' "'And why not, mine heir?' I asked. "'For three reasons, Alan, each of which is final. You are English, and I do not wish my daughter to marry an Englishman.' That is the first. You are poor, which is no discredit to you, and since I am now ruined, my daughter cannot marry a poor man. That is the second. You live here, and my daughter and I are leaving this country. Therefore you cannot marry her. That is third. And he paused. Is there not a fourth, I asked, which is the real reason, namely that you wish your daughter to marry someone else? Yes, Alan, since you forced me to it, there is a fourth. I have affianced my daughter to her cousin, Hernando Pereira, a man of substance and full age. No lad, but one who knows his own mind and can support a wife. 
"'I understand,' I answered calmly, "'although within my heart a very hell was raging. "'But tell me, mine heir, "'has Marie affianced herself, "'or perhaps she will answer with her own lips?' "'Yes, Alan,' replied Marie, in her quiet fashion. "'I have affianced myself to you, and no other man.' "'You here, mine heir,' I said to Marie. "'Then he broke out in his usual excitable manner. "'He stormed, he argued, he rated us both. "'He said that he would never allow it, "'that first he would see his daughter in her grave, "'that I had abused his confidence and violated his hospitality, "'that he would shoot me if I came near his girl.' "'that she was a minor, and according to the law he could dispose of her in marriage, "'that she must accompany him whither he was going, "'that certainly I should not do so, and much more of the same sort. "'When at last he had tired himself out and smashed his favorite pipe upon the table, "'Marie spoke, saying, "'My father, you know that I love you dearly, "'for since my mother's death we have been everything to each other, have we not?' "'Surely, Marie, you are my life, and more than my life.' "'Very well, my father. "'That being so, I acknowledge your authority over me, "'whatever the law may say. "'I acknowledge that you have the right to forbid me to marry Alan, "'and if you do forbid me, while I am under age, at any rate, "'I shall not marry him because of my duty to you. "'But!' "'Here she rose and looked him full in the eyes, "'and, oh, how stately she seemed at that moment "'in her simple strength and youthful grace. "'There is one thing, my father.' "'that I do not acknowledge. "'You're right to force me to marry any other man. "'As a woman with power over herself, "'I deny that right, "'and as much as it pains me, my father, "'to refuse you anything, "'I say that first I will die. "'To Alan here I have given myself "'for good or for evil, "'and if I may not marry Alan, "'I will go to the grave unwed. "'If my words hurt you, "'I pray you to pardon me, "'but at the same time to remember "'that they are my words.' "'which cannot be altered.' Moray looked at his daughter, "'and his daughter looked at Moray. "'At first I thought that he was about to curse her, "'but if this were so, "'something in her eyes seemed to change his mind, "'for all he says was, "'Intractable, like the rest of your race. "'Well, fate may lead those who cannot be driven, "'and this matter I leave in the hands of fate. "'While you are under age, "'that is, for two years or more, "'you may not marry without my consent.' "'and have just promised not to do so. "'Presently we trek from this country into far-off lands. "'Who knows what may happen there?' "'Yes,' said my father, in a solemn voice, "'speaking for the first time. "'Who knows except God, who governs all things, "'and will settle these matters according to his will, Henri Marais?' "'Listen,' he went on after a pause, "'for Marais made no answer, "'but sat himself down and glared gloomily at the table.' "'You do not wish my son to marry your daughter for various reasons, "'of which one is that you think him poor, "'and a richer suitor has offered himself "'after a reverse of fortune has made you poor. "'Another and greater, the true reason, is his English blood, "'which you hate so much that although by God's mercy he saved her life, "'you do not desire that he should share her life. "'Is it not true?' "'Yes, it is true, mine Herr Quartermain. "'You English are bullies and cheats.' "'he answered excitedly. "'And so you would give your daughter "'to one who has shown himself humble and upright, "'to that good hater of the English "'and plotter against his king, "'Hernando Pereira, "'whom you love because he alone "'is left of your ancient race? "'Remembering the incident of the afternoon, "'this sarcasm reduced Marais to silence. "'Well,' went on my father, "'although I am fond of Marie, "'and know her to be a sweet and noble-hearted girl, "'neither do I wish that she should marry my son.' "'I would see him wed to some Englishwoman, "'and not dragged into the net of the Boers and their plottings. "'Still, it is plain that these two love each other with heart and soul, "'as doubtless as it has been decreed that they should love. "'This being so, I tell you that to separate them "'and force another marriage upon one of them "'is a crime before God, of which I am sure "'he will take note and pay it back to you. "'Strange things may happen in those lands whither you go, Henri Marais.' "'Will you not, then, be content to leave your child in safekeeping?' "'Never!' shouted Marais. "'She shall accompany me to a new home, "'which is not under the shadow of your cursed British flag.' "'Then I have no more to say. "'On your head be it here and hereafter,' replied my father solemnly. "'Now, unable to control myself any longer, I broke in. "'But I have, mine heir, 
"'to separate Marie and myself was a sin, "'and one that will break her heart. "'As for my poverty, I have something, "'more perhaps than you think, "'and in this rich country wealth can be earned "'by those who work, as I would do for her sake. "'The man to whom you would give her "'showed his true nature this day, "'for he who can play so low a trick to win a wager "'will play worse tricks to win greater things. "'Moreover, the scheme must fail, "'since Marie will not marry him.' "'I say she shall.' "'replied Murray, and that whether she does or not, "'she shall accompany me and not stay here "'to be the wife of an English boy.' "'Accompany you I will, father, "'and share your fortunes to the last, "'but marry Hernando Pereira I will not,' "'said Marie quietly. "'Perhaps, mine heir,' I added, "'days may come when once again "'you will be glad of the help of an English boy.' "'The words were spoken at random, "'a kind of ejaculation from the heart, "'caused by the sting of Marais's cruelty and insults "'like the cry of a beast beneath a blow. "'Little did I know how true they would prove, "'but at times it is thus that truth is mysteriously drawn "'from some well of secret knowledge hidden in our souls. "'When I want your help, I will ask for it,' raved Marais, "'who, knowing himself to be in the wrong, "'strove to cover up the wrong with violence. "'Ask or unask, if I live, "'it shall be given in the future as in the past, "'mine heir Marais.' "'God pardon you for the woe you're bringing on Marie and on me.' "'Now Marie began to weep a little, "'and unable to bear that sight, I covered my eyes with my hand. "'Marie, who, when he was not under the influence of his prejudices or passion, "'had a kind heart, was moved also, "'but tried to hide his feelings in roughness. "'He swore at Marie and told her to go to bed, "'and she obeyed, still weeping. "'Then my father rose and said, "'Henri Marie!' "'We cannot leave here tonight because the horses are crawled, "'and it would be difficult to find them in this darkness, "'so we must ask your hospitality till dawn.' "'I do not ask it,' I exclaimed. "'I go to sleep in the cart,' "'and I limped from the room and the house, "'leaving the two men together. "'What passed afterwards between them I do not quite know. "'I gathered that my father, who, when roused, "'also had a temper and was mentally and intellectually the stronger man.' "'told Murray his opinion of his wickedness and folly "'in language that he was not likely to forget. "'I believe he even drove him to confess "'that his acts seemed cruel, "'excusing them, however, "'by announcing that he had sworn before God "'that his daughter should never marry an Englishman. "'Also he said that he had promised her solemnly to Pereira, "'his own nephew, whom he loved, "'and could not break his word. "'No,' answered my father, "'because, being mad with the madness "'that runs before destruction, "'you prefer to break Marie's heart.' and perhaps become guilty of her blood. And then he left him. We'll return with our story. We'll return with our story right after these sponsor messages. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And now back to Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. The darkness was intense. Through it, I groped my way to the cart, which stood where it had been outspanned on the veld at a little distance from the house, wishing heartily, so miserable was I, "'that the Kafirs might choose that black night for another attack "'and make an end of me. "'When I reached it and lit the lantern which we always carried, "'I was astonished to find that, in a rough fashion, "'it had been made ready to sleep in. "'The seats had been cleared out, "'the hind curtain fastened, and so forth. "'Also the pole was propped up with an ox yoke "'so as to make the vehicle level to lie in. "'While I was wondering vaguely who could have done this, "'Hans climbed onto the step, "'carrying two carosses which he had borrowed or stolen,' "'and asked if I was comfortable. "'Oh, yes,' I answered. "'But why were you going to sleep in the cart?' "'Bas,' he replied. "'I was not. 
I prepared it for you. How did I know you were coming? Oh, very simply. I sat on the stoop and listened to all the talk in the sit-camera. The window has never been mended, boss, since the quabbies broke it. God in heaven, what a talk that was. I never knew that white people could have so much to say about a simple matter. You want to marry the boss Murray's daughter. The boss wants her to marry another man who can pay more cattle. Well, among us, it would soon have been settled, for the father would have taken a stick and beaten you out of the hut with the thick end. Then he would have beaten the girl with the thin end until she promised to take the other man, and all would have been settled nicely. But you whites, you talk and talk, and nothing is settled. You still mean to marry the daughter, and the daughter still means not to marry the man of many cows. Moreover, the father has really gained nothing except a sick heart and much bad luck to come. Why much bad luck to come, Hans? I asked idly, for his naive summing up of the case interested me in a vague way. Oh, Boss Allen, for two reasons. First, your reverend father, who made me true Christian, told him so. And a predicant so good as he is one down whom the curse of God runs from heaven like lightning runs down a tree. Well, the heir Murray was sitting under that tree, and we all know what happens to him who is under a tree when the lightning strikes it. That is my first Christian reason. My second black man reason, about which there can be no mistake, for it has always been true since there was a black man, is that the girl is yours by blood. You saved her life with your blood, and he pointed to my leg, and therefore bought her forever, for blood is more than cattle. Therefore, too, he who would divide her from you brings blood on her and on the other man who tries to steal her. Blood. And on himself, I know not what. And he waved his yellow arms, staring up at me with his little black eyes in a way that was most uncanny. Nonsense, I said. Why do you talk such bad words? Because they are true words, Boss Allen. Oh, you laugh at the poor toddy. But I had it from my father, and he from his father, from generation to generation. Amen, and you will see. You will see, as I've seen before now, and as the heir Murray will see, who, if the great God has not made him mad, for mad he is, boss, as we know, if you whites don't, might have lived in his home till he was old, and have had a good son-in-law to bury him in his blanket. Now I seem to have had enough of this eerie conversation. Of course it is easy to laugh at natives and their superstitions, but, after a long life of experience, I am bound to admit that they are not always devoid of truth. The native has some kind of sixth sense which the civilized man has lost, or so it seems to me. "'Talking of blankets,' I said, in order to change the subject, "'from whom did you get these carosses?' "'From whom? Why, from the missy, of course, boss. "'When I heard that you were to sleep in the cart, "'I went to her and borrowed them to cover you. "'Also, I had forgotten, she gave me a writing for you.' "'And he felt about, first in his dirty shirt, "'then under his arm, and finally in his fuzzy hair, "'from which the last hiding place he produced a little bit of paper "'folded into a pellet. "'I undid it and read these words, written with a pencil,' and in French. I shall be in the peach orchard half an hour before sunrise. Be there, if you would bid me farewell. M. Is there any answer, boss? asked Hans, when I had thrust the note into my pocket. If so, I can take it without being found out. Then an inspiration seemed to strike him, and he added, Why you not take it yourself? The missy's window is easy to open. Also, I am sure she would be pleased to see you. Be silent, I said. I'm going to sleep. Wake me an hour before the cock crow, and stay. See that the horses have got out of the crawl, so that you cannot find them too easily in case the reverend wishes to start very early. But do not let them wander far, for here we are no welcome guests. Yes, boss. By the way, boss, the heir Pereira, who tried to cheat you over those geese, is sleeping in an empty house not more than two miles away. He drinks coffee when he wakes up in the morning, and his servant, who makes it, is my good friend." "'Now, would you like me to put a little something into it? "'Not to kill him, for that is against the law in the book, "'but just to make him quite mad, for the book says nothing about that. "'If so, I have a very good medicine, "'one that you white people do not know, "'which improves the taste of the coffee, and it might save much trouble. "'You see, if he came dancing about the place without any clothes on, "'like a common kaffir, the heir Murray, although he is really mad also,' "'Might not wish him for son-in-law.' "'Go to the devil if you're not there already,' I replied, "'and turned over as though to sleep. "'There was no need for me to have instructed that faithful creature, "'the astute but immoral Hans, 
to call me early, as the lady did her mother in the poem, for I do not think that I closed an eye that night. I spare my reflections, for they can easily be imagined in the case of an earnest-natured lad who was about to be bereft of his first love. Long before the dawn I stood in the peach orchard, that orchard where we had first met, and waited. At length Marie came stealing between the tree trunks like a gray ghost, for she was wrapped in some light-colored garment. Once more we were alone together, alone in the utter solitude and silence which precedes the African dawn, when all creatures that love the night have withdrawn to their lairs and hiding-places, and those that love the day still sleep their soundest. She saw me and stood still, then opened her arms and clasped me to her breast, uttering no word. A while later she spoke almost in a whisper, saying, "'Alan, I must not stay long, for I think that if my father found us together, he would shoot you in his madness.' Now, as always, it was of me, she thought, and not of herself. And you, my sweet? I asked. Oh, she answered. That matters nothing. Except for the sin of it, I wish he would shoot me, for then I should have done with all this pain. I, I told you, Alan, when the Kafirs were on us yonder, that it might be better to die. And see, my heart spoke truly. Is there no hope? I gasped. Will he really separate us and take you away into the wilderness? "'Certainly nothing can turn him. "'Yet, Alan, there is this hope. "'In two years, if I live, I shall be of full age, "'and can marry whom I will. "'And this I swear, that I will marry none but you. "'No, not even if you were to die tomorrow.' "'I bless you for those words,' I said. "'Why?' she asked simply. "'What others could I speak? "'Would you have me do outrage to my own heart "'and go through life faithless and ashamed?' "'And I?' I swear also, I broke in. Nay, swear nothing. While I live, I know that you will love me, and if I should be taken, it is my wish that you should marry some other good woman, since it is not well or right that man should live alone. With us maids it is different. Listen, Alan, for the cocks are beginning to crow, and soon there will be light. You must bide here with your father. If possible, I will write to you from time to time, telling you where we are and how we fare. But if I do not write... Know that it is because I cannot, or because I can find no messenger, or because the letters have miscarried, for we go into wild countries, amongst savages. Whither do you go? I asked. I believe up towards the great harbor called Delagoa Bay, where the Portuguese rule. My cousin Hernan, who accompanies us, and she shivered a little in my arms, is half Portuguese. He tells the Boers that he has relations there who have written him many fine promises, saying they will give us good country to dwell in where we cannot be followed by the English, whom he and my father hate so much. I have heard that is all feverveld, and that the country between is full of fierce kaffirs, I said with a groan. Perhaps. I do not know. And I do not care. At least that is the notion in my father's head, though, of course, circumstances may change it. I will try to let you know, Alan, or if I do not, "'Perhaps you will be able to find out for yourself. "'Then, if we both live and you still care for me, "'who will always care for you, "'when I am of age, you will join us "'and say and do what they may. "'I will marry no other man. "'And if I die, as may well happen, "'then my spirit shall watch over you "'and wait for you till you join me "'beneath the wings of God. "'Look, it grows light. "'I must go. "'Farewell, my love, my first and only love, "'till in life or death we meet again.' as meet we shall. Once more we clung together and kissed, muttering broken words, and then she tore herself from my embrace and was gone. But as I heard her feet steal through the dew-laden grass, I felt as though my heart were being rent from my breast. I have suffered much in life, but I do not think that I ever underwent a bitterer anguish than this hour of my parting from Marie. For when all is said and done, what joy is there like the joy of pure, first love? And what bitterness! like the bitterness of its loss. Half an hour later the flowering trees of Maraisfontein were behind us, while its front rolled the fire-swept veld, black as life had become for me. We'll return with Chapter 7, right after these sponsor messages. And now Chapter 7, Alan's Call. A fortnight later, Moray, Pereira, and their companions, a little band in all of about twenty men, thirty women and children, and say fifty half-breeds and hot-and-tot after-riders, trekked from their homes into the wilderness. 
I rode to the crest of a table-topped hill and watched the long line of wagons, one of them containing Marie, crawl away northward across the veld a mile or more beneath. Sorely was I tempted to gallop after them and seek a last interview with her and her father, but my pride forbade me. Henri Marais had given out that if I came near his daughter he would have me beaten back with shambox or hide whips. Perhaps he had gained some inkling of our last farewell in the peach orchard. I do not know. But I do know that if anyone had lifted a jambok on me, I would have answered with a bullet. Then there would have been blood between us, which is worse to cross than whole rivers of wrath and jealousy. So I just watched the wagons until they vanished and galloped home down the rock-strewn slope, wishing that the horse would stumble and break my neck. When I reached the station, however, I was glad that it had not done so, as I found my father sitting on the stoop reading a letter that had been brought by a mounted hottentot. It was from Henri Marais, and ran thus. Reverend Eyre and friend Quartermain, I sent this to bid you farewell, for although you are English and we have quarreled at times, I honor you in my heart. Friend, now that we are starting, your warning words lie on me like lead, and I know not why. But what is done cannot be undone, and I trust that all will come right. If not, it is because the good Lord wills it otherwise. Here my father looked up and said, When men suffer from their own passion and folly, they always lay the blame on the back of providence. Then he went on, spelling out the letter. I fear your boy Alan, who is a brave lad, as I have reason to know, and honest, must think that I have treated him harshly and without gratitude. But I have only done what I must do. True, Marie, who, like her mother, is very strong and stubborn in mind, swears that she will marry no one else. But soon nature will make her forget all that, especially as such a fine husband waits for her hand. So bid Alan forget all about her also, and when he is old enough, choose some English girl. I have sworn a great oath before my God that he shall never marry my daughter with my consent. Friend, I write to ask you something because I trust you more than these slim agents. Half the price, a very poor one, that I have for my farm is still unpaid to me by Jacobus Vandermerve, who remains behind and buys up all our lands. It is one hundred pounds English, due this day year, and I enclose you power of attorney to receive and give receipt for the same. Also there is due to me from your British government two hundred and fifty-three pounds on account of slaves liberated which were worth quite one thousand pounds. This also the paper gives you authority to receive. As regards my claims against the said cursed government because of the loss brought on me by the Quabi Kaffirs, it will not acknowledge them, saying that the attack was caused by the Frenchman Leblanc, one of my household. And with good reason, commented my father. When you have received these monies, if ever, I pray you take some safe opportunity of sending them to me, wherever I may be, which doubtless you will hear in due course, although by that time I hope to be rich again and not to need money. Farewell, and God be with you, as I hope you will be with me and Marie and the rest of us Trek Boers. The bearer will overtake us with your answer at our first outspan. Signed, Henri Marais. Well, said my father with a sigh, I suppose I must accept his trust, although why should he choose an accursed Englishman, with whom he has quarreled violently, to collect his debts instead of one of his own beloved Boers? I'm sure I do not know. I will go and write to him, Alan, and see that the messenger and his horse get something to eat. I nodded and went to the man, who was one of those that had defended Marie Fontaine with me, a good fellow unless he got near liquor. Air Allen, he said, looking round to see that we were not overheard, I have a little writing for you also, and he produced from his pouch a note that was unaddressed. I tore it open eagerly. Within was written in French, which no boor could understand if the letter fell into his hands. Be brave and faithful, and remember, as I shall... Oh, love of my heart, adieu, adieu. This message was unsigned, but what need was there of a signature? I wrote an answer of a sort that may be imagined, though what the exact words were I cannot remember after the lapse of nearly half a century. Oddly enough, it is the things I said which I recall at such a distance of time rather than the things which I wrote, perhaps because, when once written, my mind being delivered, troubled itself with them no more. So in due course the Hottentot departed with my father's letter and my own, and that was the last direct communication which we had with Henri or Marie Marais for more than a year. I think that those long months were on the whole the most wretched I've ever spent. The time of life which I was passing through was always trying. 
that period of emergence from youth into full and responsible manhood, which in Africa generally takes place earlier than it does here in England, where young men often seem to remain boys up to the age of five and twenty. The circumstances which I have detailed made it particularly so in my case, for here was I, who should have been but a cheerful lad, oppressed with the sorrows and anxieties, and fettered by the affections of maturity. I could not get Marie out of my mind. Her image was with me by day and by night, especially by night, which caused me to sleep badly. I became morose, supersensitive, and excitable. I developed a cough and thought, as did others, that I was going into a decline. I remembered that Hans even asked me once if I would not come and peg up the exact place where I should like to be buried, so that I might be sure that there would be no mistake made when I could no longer speak for myself. The truth was that I had not the slightest intention of being buried. I wanted to live and marry Marie, not to die and be put in a hole by Hans. Only I saw no prospect of marrying Marie, or even of seeing her again, and that was why I felt low-spirited. Of course, from time to time news of the Trekboers reached us, but it was extremely confused. There were so many parties of them, their adventures were so difficult to follow, and, I may add, often so terrible, so few of them could write. Trustworthy messengers were so scanty, distances were so great. At any rate, we heard nothing of Marais' band except a rumor that they had trekked to a district in what is now called the Transvale, which is called Rustenburg, and thence on towards Delagoa Bay into an unknown belt where they had vanished. From Marie herself no letter came, which showed me clearly enough that she had not found an opportunity of sending one. Observing my depressed condition, my father suggested as a remedy that I should go to the theological college at Cape Town and prepare myself for ordination, but the church as a career did not appeal to me, perhaps because I felt that I could never be sufficiently good, perhaps because I knew that as a clergyman I should find no opportunity of traveling north when my call came for I always believed that this call would come. My father, who wished that I should hear another kind of call, was vexed with me over this matter. He desired earnestly that I should follow the profession which he adorned, and indeed saw no other open for me any more than I did myself. Of course he was right in a way, seeing that in the end I found none, unless big game hunting and kaffir trading can be called a profession. I don't know, I am sure. Still, poor business as it may be, I say now, when I am getting towards the end of life, that I am glad I did not follow any other. It has suited me. That was the insignificant hole in the world's affairs which I was destined to fit, whose only gifts were a remarkable art of straight shooting and the more common one of observation mixed with a little untrained philosophy. So hot did our arguments become about this subject of the church, for, as may be imagined, in the course of them I revealed some unorthodoxy, especially as regards the matter of our methods of Christianizing kafirs that I was extremely thankful when a diversion occurred which took me away from home. The story of my defense of Marie Fontaine has spread far, and that of my feats of shooting, especially in the goose kloof, still farther. So the end of it was that those in authority commandeered me to serve in one of the continual Kafir frontier wars which was in progress, and instantly gave me a commission as a kind of a lieutenant in a border corps. Now the events of that particular war have nothing to do with the history that I am telling, so I do not propose even to touch on them. I served in it for a year, meeting with many adventures, one or two successes, and several failures. Once I was wounded slightly, twice I but just escaped with my life. Once I was reprimanded for taking a foolish risk and losing some men. Twice I was commended for what were called gallant actions, such as bringing a wounded comrade out of danger under a warm fire, mostly of a segais, and penetrating by night, almost alone, into the stronghold of a chieftain, and shooting him. At length that war was patched up with an inconclusive peace, and my corps was disbanded. I returned home, no longer a lad, but a man with experience of various kinds, and a rather unique knowledge of kafirs, their languages, history, and modes of thought and action. Also I had associated a good deal with British officers, and from them acquired much that I had found no opportunity of studying before, especially, I hope, the ideas and standards of English gentlemen." I had not been back at the mission station more than three weeks, quite long enough for me to begin to be bored with idleness and inactivity, when that call for which I had been waiting came at last. One day a smoo, that is a low kind of white man, who travels about trading with unsophisticated boors and kaffirs, and cheating them if he can, called at the station with his cart full of goods. I was about to send him away, having no liking for such gentry, 
when he asked me if I were named Alan Quartermain. I said yes, whereon he replied that he had a letter for me, and produced a packet wrapped up in sailcloth. I asked him whence he had it, and he answered from a man whom he had met at Port Elizabeth, an East Coast trader, who, hearing that he was coming into the Craddock district, entrusted him with the letter. The man told him that it was very important, and that I should reward the bearer well if it were delivered safely. While the man talked, I was opening the sailcloth. Within was a piece of linen which had been oiled to keep out water, addressed in some red pigment to myself or my father. This, too, I opened, not without difficulty, for it was carefully sewn up, and found within it a letter packet, also addressed to myself or my father, in the handwriting of Marie. Great heaven! How my heart jumped at that sight! Calling to Hans to make the smooth comfortable and give him food, I went into my own room, and there read the letter which ran thus. My dear Alan, I do not know whether the other letters I have written to you have ever come to your hands, or indeed if this one will. Still, I send it on chance by a wandering Portuguese half-breed who is going to Delagoa Bay, about fifty miles, I believe, from the place where I now write, near the Crocodile River. My father has named it Marais Fontaine, after our old home. If those letters reached you, you will have learned of the terrible things we went through on our journey, the attacks by the Kaffirs in the Zutspanberg region, who destroyed one of our parties altogether, and so forth. If not, all that story must wait, for it is too long to tell now, and indeed I have but little paper, and not much pencil. It will be enough to say, therefore, that to the number of thirty-five white people, men, women, and children, we trekked at the beginning of the summer season, when the grass was commencing to grow, from the Leidenberg district, an awful journey over mountains and through flooded rivers. After many delays, some of them months long, we reached this place, about eight weeks ago, for I write to you at the beginning of June, if we have kept correct account of the time, of which I am not certain. It is a beautiful place to look at, a flat country of rich veld, with big trees growing on it, and about two miles from the great river that is called the Crocodile. Here, finding good water, my father and Hernan Pereira, who now rules him in all things, determined to settle, although some of the others wished to push on nearer to the Delagoa Bay. There was a great quarrel about it, but in the end my father, or rather Hernan, had his will, as the oxen were worn out, and many had already died from the bites of a poisonous fly which is called the tsetse. So we lotted out the land, of which there is enough for hundreds, and began to build rude houses. Then trouble came upon us. The Kaffirs stole most of our horses, although they have not dared to attack us, and except two belonging to Hernan, the rest died of the sickness, the last of them but yesterday. The oxen, too, have all died of the tsetse bites or other illnesses, but the worst is that although this country looks so healthy, it is poisoned with fever, which comes up, I think, in the mists from the river. Already out of the thirty-five of us, ten are dead, two men, three women, and five children, while more are sick. As yet my father and I and my cousin Pereira have, by God's mercy, kept quite well. But although we are all very strong, how long this will continue, I cannot tell. Fortunately, we have plenty of ammunition and the place is thick with game, so that those of the men who remain strong can kill all the food we want, even shooting on foot. And we women have made a great quantity of biltong by salting flesh and drying it in the sun. So we shall not actually starve for a long while, even if the game goes away. But, dear Alan, unless help comes to us, I think that we shall die every one, for God alone knows the miseries that we suffer and the horrible sights of sickness and death that are around us. At this moment there lies by me a little girl who is dying of fever. Oh, Alan, if you can help us, do so. Because of our sick, it is impossible for us to get to Delagoa Bay, and if we did, we had no money to buy anything there, for all that we had with us was lost in a wagon in a flooded river. It was a great sum, for it included Hernan's rich fortune which he brought from the Cape with him in gold. Nor can we move anywhere else, for we have no cattle or horses. We have sent to Delagoa Bay, when we hear these are to be had, to try to buy them on credit, but my cousin Hernan's relations, of whom he used to talk so much, are dead or gone away, and no one will trust us. With the neighboring Kaffirs, too, who have plenty of cattle, we have quarreled since. Unfortunately, my cousin and some of the other boers tried to take certain beasts of theirs without payment. So we are quite helpless, and can only wait for death. Alan, my father says that he asked your father to collect some monies that were owing to him. If it were possible for you or other friends to come to Delagoa in a ship with that money, 
"'I think that it might serve to buy some oxen, "'enough for a few wagons. "'Then, perhaps, we might trek back "'and fall in with a party of Boers, "'who we believe have crossed the Quatlamba Mountains "'into Natal. "'Or perhaps we might get into the bay "'and find a ship to take us anywhere from this horrible place. "'If you would come, "'the natives would guide you to where we are. "'But it is too much to hope that you will come, "'or that if you do come, you find us still alive.' "'Alan, my dearest, I have one more thing to say, "'though I must say it shortly, for the paper is nearly finished. "'I do not know, supposing that you are alive and well, "'whether you still care for me, who left you so long ago. "'It seems years and years, but my heart is where it was, "'and where I promised it should remain, in your keeping. "'Of course, Ernan has pressed me to marry him, "'and my father has wished it, but I have always said no, "'and now, in our wretchedness, "'There's no more talk of marriage at present, "'which is the one good thing that has happened to me. "'And, Alan, before so very long I shall be of age, if I live. "'Still, I dare say, you no longer think of marriage with me, "'who, perhaps, are already married to someone else, "'especially as now I and all of us are no better than wandering beggars. "'Yet I have thought it right to tell you these things, "'which you may like to know. "'Oh, why did God ever put it into my father's heart "'to leave the Cape Colony just because he hated the British government?' and Hernan Pereira and others persuaded him. I know not, but, poor man, he is sorry enough now. It is pitiful to see him. At times I think he's going mad. The paper is done, and the messenger is going. Also the sick child is dying, and I must attend to her. Will this letter ever come to your hands, I wonder? I am sending it with the little money I have to pay for its delivery, about four pounds English. If not, there is an end. If it does... "'and you cannot come or send others. "'At least pray for us. "'I dream of you by night "'and think of you by day. "'For how much I love you, I cannot tell. "'In life or death, I am your Marie.' "'Such was this awful letter. "'I still have it. "'It lies before me, "'those ragged sheets of paper "'covered with faint pencil writing "'that is blotted here and there with tear marks, "'and some of them the tears of Marie who wrote, "'some of them the tears of me who read.' I wonder if there exists a more piteous memorial of the terrible sufferings of the trek boers, and especially of such of them as forced their way into the poisonous veld around Delagoa, as did this Marais expedition and those under the command of Trichard. Better, like many of their people, by the spears of the Umzilikazi and other savages than to endure these lingering tortures of fever and starvation. As I finished reading this letter, my father, who had been out visiting some of his mission kaffirs, entered the house, "'and I went into the sitting-room to meet him. "'Why, Alan, what is the matter with you?' he asked, "'noting my tear-stained face. "'I handed in the letter, for I could not speak, "'and with difficulty he deciphered it. "'Merciful God, what dreadful news!' he said when he had finished. "'Those poor people! Those poor, misguided people! "'What can be done for them?' "'I know one thing that can be done, father.' "'or at any rate can be attempted. "'I can try to reach them.' "'Are you mad?' he asked. "'How is it possible for you, one man, "'to get to Delagoa Bay, by cattle, "'and rescue these folks, "'who probably are now all dead?' "'The first two things are possible enough, Father. "'Some ship will take me to the bay. "'You have Marais' money, "'and I have that five hundred pounds "'which my old aunt in England left me last year. "'Thank heaven, owing to my absence on commando,' It still lies untouched in the bank at Port Elizabeth. That is about 800 pounds in all, which would buy a great many cattle and other things. As for the third, it is not in our hands, is it? It may be that they cannot be rescued. It may be that they are dead. I can only go to sea. But, Alan, Alan, you are my only son, and if you go, it is probable that I never shall see you again. I've been through many more dangers lately, father. "'and I'm still alive and well. "'Moreover, if Marie is dead,' I paused, "'and then went on passionately. "'Do not try to stop me, for I tell you, Father, "'I will not be stopped. "'Think of the words in that letter, "'and what a shameless hound I should be "'if I sat here quiet while Marie is dying yonder. "'Would you have done so if Marie had been my mother?' "'No,' answered my father. "'I should not. "'You go, and God be with you, Alan.' "'and me also, for I never expect to see you again.' "'And he turned his head aside for a while. "'Then we went into matters. 
"'The Smoo were summoned and asked about the ship "'which brought the letter from Delagoa. "'It seemed that she was an English-owned brig "'known as the Seven Stars, "'and that her captain, one Richardson, "'proposed to sail back to the bay on the morrow. "'That was the 3rd of July, "'or, in other words, within 24 hours. "'24 hours! "'And Port Elizabeth was 118 miles away, "'and the Seven Stars might leave earlier "'if she had completed her cargo "'and wind and weather served. "'Moreover, if she did leave, "'it might be weeks or months "'before any other ship sailed for Delagoa Bay, "'for in those days, of course, "'there were no mailboats. "'I looked at my watch.' It was four o'clock in the afternoon, and from a calendar we had, which gave the tides at Port Elizabeth and other South African harbors, it did not seem probable that the seven stars would sail, if she kept to her date, before about eight on the morrow. One hundred and twenty miles to be covered in fourteen hours, over rough country, with some hills. Well, on the other hand, the roads were fairly good and dry, with no flooded rivers to cross, although there might be one to swim, and there was a full moon. "'It could be done, barely. "'And now I was glad indeed that Hernan Pereira "'had not won my swift mare in that shooting match. "'I called to Hans, who was loafing about outside, "'and said quietly, "'I ride to Port Elizabeth, "'and must be there by eight o'clock tomorrow morning. "'Alamakta!' exclaimed Hans, "'who had been that road several times. "'You will go with me, "'and from Port Elizabeth on to Delagoa Bay. "'Saddle the mare and the roan horse, "'and put a headstall on the chestnut "'to lead with you as a spare.' "'Give them all a feed, but no water. "'We started half an hour. "'Then I added certain directions as to the guns we would take, "'saddlebags, clothes, blankets, and other details, "'and bade him start about the business. "'To his credit, Hans never hesitated. "'He had been with me through my recent campaign "'and was accustomed to sudden orders. "'Moreover, I think that if I had told him I was riding to the moon, "'beyond his customary exclamation of Alemakta, "'he would have made no objection to that either.' The next half hour was a busy time for me. Henri Marais's money had to be got out of the strong box and arranged in a belt of buck's hide that I had strapped about me. A letter had to be written by my father to the manager of the Port Elizabeth Bank, identifying me as the owner of the sum lodge there in my name. A meal must be eaten and some food prepared for us to carry. The horse's shoes had to be seen to, and a few clothes packed in the saddlebags. Also there were other things which I had forgotten— Yet within five and thirty minutes, the long, lean mare stood before the door. Behind her, with a tall crane's feather in his hat, was Hans, mounted on the roan stallion and leading the chestnut, a four-year-old which I had brought as a foal on the mare as part of the bargain. Having been corn-fed from a colt, it was a very sound and well-grown horse, although not the equal of its mother in speed. In the passage, my poor old father, who was quite bewildered by the rapidity and urgent nature of this business, embraced me. "'God bless you, my dear boy,' he said. "'I have had little time to think, "'but I pray that this may all be for the best "'and that we may meet again in the world. "'But if not, remember what I have taught you, "'and if I survive you, for my part I shall remember "'that you died trying to do your duty. "'Oh, what trouble has the blind madness of Henri Marais "'brought upon us all!' "'Well, I warned him that it would be so. "'Good-bye, my dear boy, good-bye.' My prayers will follow you. And for the rest, well, I am old, and what does it matter if my gray hairs come with a sorrow to the grave? I kissed him back, and with an aching heart sprang to the saddle. In five more minutes, the station was out of sight. Thirteen and a half hours later, I pulled rain upon the quay of Port Elizabeth just, only just in time to catch Captain Richardson as he was entering his boat to row out to the Seven Stars, on which the canvas was already being hoisted. As well as I could in my exhausted state, I explained matters and persuaded him to wait until the next tide. Then, thanking God for the mayor's speed, the roan had been left foundered thirty miles away, and Hans was following on the chestnut, but not yet up. I dragged the poor beast to an inn at hand. There she lay down and died. Well, she had done her work, and there was no other horse in the country that could have caught that boat. An hour or so later Hans came in flogging the chestnut, and here I may add that both it and the roan recovered. Indeed, I rode them for many years, until they were quite old. When I had eaten, or tried to eat something and rested a while, I went to the bank, succeeded in explaining the state of the case to the manager, and after some difficulty, for gold was not very plentiful in Port Elizabeth, procured three hundred pounds in sovereigns. For the other two he gave me a bill upon some agent in Delagoa Bay, together with a letter of recommendation to him and the Portuguese governor, who, it appeared, 
was in debt to their establishment. By an afterthought, however, although I kept the letters, I returned him the bill and spent the two hundred pounds in purchasing a great variety of goods which I will not enumerate, that I knew would be useful for trading purposes among the East Coast Kaffirs. Indeed, I practically cleared out the Port Elizabeth stores, and barely had time, with the help of Hans and the storekeepers, to pack and ship the goods before the seven stars put out to sea. Within twenty-four hours from the time I had left the mission station, Hans and I saw behind us Port Elizabeth fading into the distance, and in front, a waste of stormy waters. Join us next week Sunday night for chapters 8 and 9, and Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. If you could take a moment and please send us a review for 1001 Greatest Love Stories, it would be greatly appreciated, and it would help new listeners find us. Until next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, everyone, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.